Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. So, do you want marketing made simple? Shopify removes the guesswork with built-in tools that help you create, execute, and analyze all your online marketing campaigns. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com income now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com income. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you backstage and behind the scenes with the stars, creators, and industry leaders bringing Broadway and the theater industry back to life. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'm talking to playwright Antoinette Nwandu and director Danya Taymor, the two lead creatives behind Pass Over, the first play to open on Broadway after the shutdown, and the second production to start up in a Broadway house following the Bruce Springsteen concert. Passover, about two young black men on a street corner, is both an urgent meditation on police violence and a riff on waiting for Godot, and it's a play many of you might have seen before, maybe in its world premiere at Chicago's Steppenwolf Theatre in 2017, or at Lincoln Center Theatre in 2018, or in London in 2020. Or you might have even caught it on Amazon Prime, where you can stream Spike Lee's filmed version of the 2017 Steppenwolf production. But Passover on Broadway won't be exactly the same play as it was seen in those versions, and the show's playwright-producer is shaking things up behind the scenes, too. Nwandu and Taymor are both in the virtual studio with me to tell us more. Hi, Antoinette and Danya. Thanks for joining me. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having us. So I wonder if we could start by talking about some of the really big news here, which is that the two of you are back in a rehearsal room uh, just recently for the first time in many, many months. Um, tell us a little bit about sort of what that's like for you both. Yeah, no, the room is amazing. The, the room feels like a really sacred space because all human interaction of that kind was taken away from us for so long. And so I think we're all coming to the room a little bit humbled and a little bit aware of how precious what it is we get to do is. You know, even on any play, I, you know, I think of all of the, the Broadway shows and the off-Broadway shows and the off-off-Broadway shows, just theater in general that's restarting and that, yeah, we need community, we need each other. But, for, you know, specifically for this play, to be rewriting it again, to be working with most of the same company from Chicago, most of the same company from Lincoln Center, um, to just sort of experience the hive mind that we've created among, you know, Danya, and it starts with Danya and I, and now looping in Matt, looping in all of the, the designers and the actors. It's just, this is a sweet, sweet space to be in, to be creating and to just have this much trust and this much company wisdom is just, uh, it's, it's truly magical. 
Yeah, it's really magical. And and after a year of screens or isolation or yes. aloneness yes. of so, so many forms, to do to just do theater, to do what theater does, bodies in yes. space, um, real time. It was so fascinating over the year and a half to, you know, work on some film and television things and people on those sets are always saying like, oh, the theater, so real. It's so, it actually mm -hmm. is real. And it's true, like mm -hmm. I'm feeling that vibration in the room as we do our physical warm up. as mm -hmm. you know, these actors are working on the play and at speed it lives, like Antoinette said, because we've all had years we joke that we're like one of these Russian companies. We've been digesting this play together for years. So there is this incredible yeah. shared history that's singular to anything I've ever had the privilege to work on. So mm. it's great so, to be in a room. It's great to be in a room with this play and these beautiful people. I was telling Antoinette, it's amazing that every conversation that I, I have with one of our collaborators, I can say at the end, like, okay, love you. <laughs> you know, that's not every show. Yeah. And to be like, oh, that's yeah. okay, because we are, it's family. Yes. Yeah. And what, just in terms of the specifics of the the safety protocols, what are those now? Uh, I imagine, uh, t tell us about sort of what you, what those boundaries are, what the sort of requirements for entry are. What I can say is that we've got incredibly rigorous protocol, like to be able to enter the room, there's so many different like ways you have to be cleared before you're in there. Everybody is just working with such clear foresight with such great communication with such trust so that when we do have to do things like you know spit in a little tube and or you know give out n95 masks just in case just in case everybody is complying in a way that makes our show what we know it needs to be which is a model for how to do this safely and well right right that's an so. extra that's a whole extra level of yes things to think about right now right Absolutely. Luckily, I mean, it's no, go ahead. I was just going to say, luckily, you know, the production, the GM team and Matt have hired people so that like some of that burden is not on us. Like, yes, we are complying. Yes, there are extra steps to even be and show up in the room and work in the room. But I'm grateful that I'm not the person who has to organize that, which is freeing Absolutely. to do the work to that we need do to do. Work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I'm, Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about in what ways you got back and thought, oh, this feels so familiar to me and like what it, like a re, like a familiar rehearsal room and in what ways it feels different from any other uh, version of this. I mean, you talked a little bit about the sort of the family you've created over the years that you've development, developed this piece, but is there anything else about, you know, looking at the rehearsal room for, with these fresh eyes of however many months it's mm -hmm. been? Uh, is there something that has struck you over this process? Well, yeah, the play itself, it's, that's why we needed everybody to be the same so the play itself could grow into its final, or I, should I say final? Yeah, it's yeah don't most even. Perfect, <laughs> it's the most perfect form for this moment, right? And we've always presented the play that is its most perfect form for the moment we are presenting it. And so that's the only thing that's changing. And for all of us as keepers of the play, and as, you know, like it says, it takes a village to raise a child. This play is our child. And we're all seeing it develop into this new version of itself. And we're all manifesting that together. Obviously I'm the playwright. I, you know, write the play, but <laughs> we are the company and we are making the play together. 
Yeah. And I wonder if you both could tell us a little more about sort of the ways in which the uh, not only the play, but also the production itself is sort of changing from what many of us in New York will have seen, uh, you know, at Lincoln Center. And um, a mm -hmm. lot of people, even who weren't in New York, may have caught on Amazon or maybe they saw mm -hmm. it, in, uh, you know, in Chicago or in London or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can sort of talk through sort of the God's eye view, uh, if you Please. will, of, of the, the journey of this play. Well, um, the long and short of it is there have been five productions, five uh, important productions of this play, three of them involving my collaborator, Danya Tamor. The first production was a Cherry Lane mentorship at the Cherry Lane Mentorship. Uh, and then the second production obviously was at Steppenwolf with Danya. Uh, and then Lincoln, uh, sorry, and then Spike and then Lincoln Center. So with the three Danya productions, Steppenwolf, Lincoln Center, and now, we have been in conversation for at least a, a year before the production because the dirty little secret is Danya applied to direct Cherry Lane but at the time I had yet to see the wisdom of the Nuandu Tamor uh, collaboration. So I, I, I worked on that with someone else, but she has known the play since then. So in each, in the lead up to each production, we have like a year and change to think about, okay, well, this is what we got right. And this is what's still scratching our noggin. And let's just be people in the world and keep talking about it. So this time we know, and we are discovering that we have to begin rewrites with the midpoint of the play, which we are calling the rock scene. It's a moment when Moses and Kitsch contemplate suicide. And that is the first scene that I have rewritten. And then we're driving forward to the end of the play so that the new gesture begins at the midpoint and goes to the end. And then hopefully I'll swing back around to the beginning of the play and see if there's any way to fatten up the piece of the play that happens before Mr. Enter. So those are the three main parts, but we start at the middle and then we get to the end and we know that the ending gesture will change, that Moses will live, he will not be lynched, he will live. And then hopefully we'll get back to the beginning and see what all of those ripples of change can do to the very beginning of the play, if anything. Mm. So that's, mm. the, that's, the, that's the plan. And uh, it's exciting that we've st I've started the rewrite about four or five days earlier than we thought would happen because we're just, the wind is at our back and we're doing such a great, great job in the room. Everybody's mm. doing such a great job. So that's where I am from like a playwright's perspective. Yeah. And what about, how does this change things for you, Danya, in terms of your approach to the piece? Well, for myself and for like the physical production, so with my design team, we had to also start to dream into Antoinette's vision of the future. You know, Antoinette has created something that doesn't exist because she is, and I, I really don't use this word lightly, a prophet. You know, great artists are prophets. They do see before we all can see. And so when Antoinette saw her vision for the end, we had to change the world because it creates a new world. So there is also a visual, a very big visual gesture that is new for this version to honor this version. And then for myself and John Michael Hilnemir Smallwood gave Ebert in the room, this ending is just freeing up so much in terms of who the men are, their relationships to each other, all this deep history. And it's, 
energetically shifting the play in a way that is amazing, amazing to work on, to rediscover. You know, I think many people are like, oh, you're doing a remount. And it's like, no, I'm just starting first rehearsal on a new play with actors who somehow know all the words, have it all in their bodies, <laughs> like all, already are all best friends. And yeah, I'm spoiled. Yeah, it's magic, like, how else do you start a play? <laughs> exactly. It's just the magical way to start a new play. Yeah. 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 So we're not we're not we're not holding any of our choices uh, as sacred. We are questioning everything, and that's not to say we're throwing things out. There's so much about this play that remains that we will continue to use that DNA, but and continue to deepen the gestures that we already made, gestures that we made from Steppenwolf. That's now it's like, oh, the oh. deeper subtextual fulfillment <laughs> of that gesture is finally coming to fruition. Because you know we had yeah, time I've space been to work on the play. <laughs> but it's made me it's made me really impressed with our youthful instincts which is like we didn't know yes. but we we made the right choices like we didn't yes. know but yet we knew and now to sort of discover more their meaning to deepen like Antoinette is saying is yeah. I mean we're only in week one and to but come I feel back like when you know what I mean how often in your life do you get to come back and work on essentially the same soul of the piece with people who've had three years to sharpen their instrument you know what I mean? Yeah. Everybody in the room is the same, but better. Totally. It's like, when, does like that, when does that happen? And then like we get Namir, to invite all these new cats into the room. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. Like, Namir and John did True West together in the interim. Yes. So, like, now they the have interim. that whole oh, yeah. thing in their belts, you know? And Gabe and John and I went on a trip together. Like, we have all this new, this new stuff new life. to play with. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Antoinette, you mentioned uh, your partnership with Danya on this and this piece, and I wonder if you could both tell me a little bit more about sort of your working collaboration and why uh, Antoinette for you, Danya, is the perfect director for this piece, Why, what the fit is there for both of you. She's the perfect director for this piece because she's the only person who's ever directed this piece. <laughs> like, how am I going to go to somebody else? Right. When it lives inside of her... You know, she's in the DNA of the work, just like I'm in the DNA of the work. So it's like the work selects the people who are in the DNA of the work. Mm -hmm. And as far as our working relationship goes, you know, it's a complete mind meld. When we're ready to work, we're ready to work. And I feel like, I, you know, I'm a very scattered person in one sense, in a good way. Like I'm, I'm moving, I'm going through a divorce, I'm writing a movie, I'm pitching another movie, and I'm writing a limited series, and I'm reopening Broadway. So when I work with Danya, it has to get to the level of like, Danya is the keeper of my time. She tells me where to be and when to show up. And then I go there and I show up. And like, you know, she and I are in such a constant conversation that I can, you know, go to LA for a month before we, op before we start rehearsal. Cause I gotta be in LA so that I can like, you know, protect my mental health and my like life. And it's like, yeah, trust, that's fine. She can handle, you know, auditions and I'll zoom in and I'll, like it's that level of collaboration and being in sync hmm. where it's like, yeah, we're, we're just, we're working on this play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And for, yeah. for you, Danya, why did you, what did, what did you respond to in the play and what? Uh, well, as Antoinette said, as soon as I read this play, I've been, tr I've been trying to work on it. So I just think I was, <laughs> I was just, Listen, like 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 a great writer, any great writer, you can feel that voice the first time you read a play. And as soon as I read Passover, I felt it. I felt 
the power, the talent, the vision, the truth, and the light. And so, of course, I wanted to be near this person. And through, it's such a beautiful thing, I think, to remember that you just don't know the ways in which things will turn out or what will happen. Mm -hmm. And if you just bring trust and bring openness mm -hmm. and bring your full self, it just can't be bad. And so I think that the journey with Antoinette is her collaborator on this play, which is, you know, always has been a touchstone for me. Even when we did the first production in Steppenwolf and it was my first time working at a theater of that size, I just knew in my heart, it's not always like this. Remember this, this is what it can be like to collaborate. This is how respectful it can be. This is how genuinely uh, collaborative, unselfish, egoless, all these things. And so, for me, the partnership with Antoinette is a touchstone for other partnerships and other relationships. Um, and as a writer in general, I think Antoinette is into what theater is about. She's into the interpretive art. She trusts directors. I got to see the production in London, which was beautiful and so different. There's space for a collaborator to come in and say, oh, I imagine in this. And Antoinette's like, yeah, yeah, we did understudy auditions. And it's the most, I've, I've never gotten to see so many people read these roles. And I was like, oh, wow, anyone who brings their full humanity and doesn't try to put a mask on, this play's like, oh, yeah, you could do this. You could play Moses. You could play Kitsch. Um, and that's really rare. Um, so I think that's part of what feels so good about it, so intuitive. I think we're also not afraid to go through difficult conversations mm -hmm. and be honest um, and live in extreme discomfort. Um, which mm -hmm. we've done, you know, many, many times over the years and come out the Yeah, other there's side. not a lot of people who can live in the discomfort of we are rehearsing a play where the ending is going to be rewritten while we're taking it to Broadway. You know what I mean? And that's the level of even that discomfort that Danya is running a space where everybody's like, yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whereas like you walk into certain companies, it's like, oh, the writer's gonna rewrite it as we're taking it to Broadway. And it's like, oh fuck, <laughs> this is about to be terrible. And mom and dad are gonna fight, meaning the director and the playwright are gonna fight in this weird way every day. And we don't know when the, you know what I mean? Like we've heard, I've been a fly on the, on the wall in New York City when plays are about to go to whatever space they're going to. And the text is still in flux. And, you know, you, you go to those previews and you look in the soul of people and they're just like, my God, this is terrible. And that's not how we roll. So right. you, have yeah. to, you have to be able to collaborate with a person who can hold down the space and the time when you say like, okay, I have this crazy idea. So that's the heart of the collaboration. Right there. I'll have more with Antoinette and Danya right after the break. And now, here's more with playwright Antoinette Nwandu and director Danya Tamor. When did the idea of bringing the show to Broadway first come up? At what point in the development of the show did that happen? There's like the I official a... story and then there's my secret, my secret email story. Secret story. <laughs> okay. So my official story is that when I got back from London, the Kiln production had opened, it was running beautifully, and uh, the first cruise ship of like English people who had COVID, they were like, we're not letting them off the boat. That was all happening. I came back to New York and I had my first meeting with Matt Ross, which I knew I was going to be having that meeting. But I was like, let's have it for after London. And it was like, okay, Matt Ross, he just produced What the Constitution Means to Me, 
which is also an ICM property. He saw Passover. He loves it. Let's have a meeting. So we had that first meeting and then Broadway shut down. Right. Right. So it was like, okay, let's think about what that would be like for the next 14 months. You know what I mean? Let's think about it. What if this ever gets to happen? If Broadway opens up ever again, your show could be among the ones that (laughs) reopens it. So it was like, okay. Right. Yes. And the thing I was alluding to is when we were at Lincoln Center, I wrote this email that has aged so well to Andre Bishop, where I was like, you should put this play on Broadway. And Lincoln Center is a producer of this play on Broadway. And I also slid into Jordan Ross DMs. And now he's also working on this play, producing this play. So it didn't happen. She has receipts. (laughs) She has receipts. But they are now producing this play on Broadway. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about how it has uh, gotten to Broadway or the, the team of uh, the team of people who have come aboard. It's got sort of a, a, a fun group of producers with names you don't often see on a list of Broadway producers, including the playwright. Antoinette, it's not all that often that you see the playwright's name on a list of producers. And Blair Underwood is there. And there's a, yes. a w, former WNBA basketball player, Renee Montgomery. Like, it's just a it seems like a fun group uh, and a and an unusual group of folks who have uh, come together for this play. How t- can you tell us a little bit about how that developed? Yes, we're a Motley crew. So, yeah, <laughs> I would say between like between like mid January and gosh, I want to say up until the very beginning of March, it was like, is this really going to happen? Like what? Like somebody talked to me about COVID. Like I got my first shot, but I didn't get my second shot until April 1st. So I think like in my mind, like literally April Fool's Day. So in my mind, it was like, maybe, (laughs) like literally until I got my COVID shot. And then psychologically, I was like, okay, I'm ready to even think about this, even though the wheels were already fully in motion. And then it just became like a series of small, beautiful miracles where it was like, yes, you can have this theater, the August Wilson, these dates, like, you know, we'll have a series of Zooms with Drew Jamison and yes, the water is going to part. That's going to happen. Matt is going to go above and beyond to prove to you all that like he's got the COVID of it under control. And so like, I'm going to ask a million questions from my like non-science background and he's going to answer every one of them with flying colors and also hire other people who know exactly what's going on. And then it's like my agent, Di Glazer and Ross Wiener calling me being like, oh, Blair Underwood was on Broadway in a show right before the pandemic. And he has such a like heart for Broadway and he sees now that Broadway is reopening. So he literally calls ICM because he's also there. And he's like, who here is doing something on Broadway that I can help out about? Like literally. And everybody was like, Passover. (laughs) So then it's like, oh, hey, Antoinette Blair Underwood, you know, Broadway royalty plus like, you know, Hollywood superstar wants to help out in any way he can. And I'm literally on a Zoom with him where he's like, is there anything I can do? And I'm just like, yeah, just be a, you know what I mean? Just like, how does that happen? You know what I mean? Where literally people are calling you. Same thing with Renee Montgomery. You know, that we, I, I talked to Matt about the desire to bring in non-traditional audiences. And I'm like, what other live performance, you know, has a dedicated audience, is looking to grow their audiences as well. And Renee Montgomery, obviously with her 
years and years of service and championship. She's a, you know, she's a championship, multi-championship winning WNBA former player. Plus, you know, owner of the dream. So it's like, yeah, let's, let's be in common cause with someone who is a rising name in the black community who brings, you know, a queer female entrepreneur spirit to, to the work. And let's say, hey, if you know, if your WNBA fans want to come see a Broadway show, I'll invite them. And if my Broadway fans want to go see a Atlanta Dream show or a New York Liberty show, like, yeah, let's go. I love women's basketball. So like, that's the kind of spirit. And I don't think any of those conversations or any of those connections would have happened. I, 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 I mean, I don't know, but it seems to me that in the aftertimes, people are approaching this work with a generosity of spirit that feels. Um, yeah, just very special. Just very special. Yeah. And in terms of the, some of the things that are going on behind the scenes, uh, I know that, um, the actors are being compensated more than the equity minimum. And there are some, uh, and while at the same time, you're also, uh, working to make sure there are accessible ticket prices, uh, available. Um, tell us a little bit about what those things are and why they're important to, I imagine both of you. The accessibility, uh, yes, yeah. okay. I am a producer and I am ready to talk about our, I have it on my pieces of paper, yeah. okay. okay. Um, what are, are our accessibility programs? Yes, one of them is LinkTix. Obviously $30 tickets for uh, any Lincoln Center theater subscribers who are under the age of 35. So if you're listening to this and you are a New York City, uh, resident and you're under the age of 35, join LinkTix and you automatically get subsidized tickets, subsidized ticket opportunities to come to the show. So thank you so much, Lincoln Center, for literally putting their money where their mouth is to help us. In addition to the Lincoln Center LinkTix, we as a company are holding back premium seats in the orchestra. These are the tickets that would normally be scalped for two, three, four, five times the ticket price. When you go online now to buy your ticket, those tickets are not available. Those will be tickets that we will offer throughout the run of the show at $40. And we are offering them with discount codes through our different partnerships that we are creating now with our BIPOC Black female-led marketing group called Real Amen. So they are in contact with our on the ground, uh, uh, you know, distribution partners and ambassadors. We're talking about churches. We're talking about, you know, BIPOC-led uh, community groups. We're doing a lot of in-person canvassing. We're doing a lot of radio canvassing, a lot of non-traditional Broadway canvassing to say, okay, if you would like to see this show this weekend, we're offering a, a code and we're gonna give that code through this partner organization or this partner group of people and say that code gives you $40 tickets and it's only going to be distributed through that person. So that if you're, you know, a scalper who's just trying to make a buck, that's not, we're, we're hope we're partnering with SeatGeek and we're hoping to really uh, be able to divert. And again, those are for the prime premium tickets. We, it was really important for me, you know, for 10 years, I, I, I'm somebody who's always gotten, you know, any kind of code I can, especially if you want to get a Broadway show to see a Broadway show, and I love that, but it's always like, oh, the poor people get the first two seat, the first two rows in Broadway. Everybody knows that. 
And I don't right. want to invite people to Broadway um, in that way. If you're coming to my show, you're gonna be able to see the show from the good seats. Yeah. For cheap. And what about the, yeah. And what about the compensation side of that for you? What was important about that and making sure that the people involved are, uh, you know, compensated and supported? I mean, I think- Yeah. Oh no, go ahead, go ahead. I was just gonna say something that people really don't know about theater in general and even theater at the yes. Broadway level is how little actors are compensated. You could be doing a show at the premier off-Broadway institution of your city, uh, of New York City and be making less than unemployment. And this is like your top tier, top whatever. And yes. Matt, Matt do Ross not and know how hard how hard actors work and how little they are routinely paid. It is a travesty. Yes. Go. And so yes. Matt Ross and <laughs> yes. Antoinette and our entire producing team were like, I mean, we didn't even have to say anything about it. It was just like, oh yeah, why would we do that? We're not doing that. I remember when Gabe Ebert, who's my partner, got his offer, he was like, I've, and he's been on, this is his seventh time on Broadway. This says, is his seventh I've, time on Broadway. He has a Tony. And this is what he said. I've never been paid this much. I've never gotten such a nice offer. All the actors have cars home after the run because you can't do this play at times a week and get on the train. You just, right. it, it's not, we shouldn't be asking. They also have the people. wellness. They have the wellness stipend. Yeah, because they have a stipend of $250 like, a week. At first I was like, even though we're changing the ending, the show still involves police violence and it involves trauma. So how are we going to take care of our, our cast? And so it's like, okay, let's give them a wellness stipend so that they can use that however they want to look after their mental health. And that's the way it should be. And we're talking about it on shows like this because yes, our company is very small. I have a three person cast. It's not a musical. I don't have an orchestra. You know, I'm sure some musicals have over a hundred people and I get that. But with this small cast, let me at least begin to create precedent level changes so that if you are going to produce a show on Broadway and be a part of it in the coming days, let me show you that there is a way to get it done where we treat people like human beings all the time, from the very beginning to the end, that the ends do not justify the means. And we know the way that Broadway treated people in the 20th century. We know the white men who got awards and made money while treating people like shit. And we are not that. We are not that. We are in fact the opposite of that because the change that we're talking about in our show, the healing that we're talking about in the play also has to happen in rehearsal when we're making the play. I can't treat you like shit and then say, ooh, the play is about healing while I'm treating my actors like shit. No, 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 no. If the play is about healing, then we're gonna heal while we're making the play. That's it, that's it. Mm. So this is not your daddy's Broadway. It's not your mama's Broadway. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things I'm curious about, particularly as the pandemic, I feel like has sort of uh, accelerated our exposure to kind of digital, the relationship between digital streaming and theater and how it can exist. I wonder for each of you, what, because this play is sort of unusual in terms of there is a version of it that exists that is readily, readily available on many people's TVs. Um, and uh, then they will be able to see it, uh, you know, a different version um, on, on stage. And I just wonder what for each of you, like what's useful about having a version out there or sort of a readily accessible, um, you know, earlier uh, version of a show out there? What have you found uh, 
as beneficial about that? Yeah, um, I think that the amazing thing about Spike, and you know, we heard from when when Spike came to Antoinette and said, I want to do this, people were like, oh, but won't that make people not want to do the play? Kind of get what you're getting at. It exists. Yeah. Why would they go see it? But it did the opposite. And you know, one of the beautiful gifts of what Spike did is got the play to so many more people. It is always a limitation that the theater has for better or for worse that it is experienced in at least up until, you know, recent times and people have done great explorations, but it's location specific. Part of its magic is being in the room. And what Spike did for the play and for us is gave it to the world, to people who needed it. And that's just I talk about healing. That's a good thing. And it's only made people more want to see the play more. It's like people who make musicals out of movies. People go see it because they're like, oh, I know that. So I think people will have seen the Spike version and say, oh, my gosh, I have the chance to see that in real life. I want to do that. Oh, and there's a different ending. Wow, I really want to do that. And so I think that they complement each other. I'm so grateful to have that moment in time captured. It was so electric in every way. Um, and this version does not negate that version or vice versa. They both coexist and only, um, I think only contribute to the success and power and reach of the play. Um, so yeah, it's been great. Yeah. And, and uh, can you uh, tell us a little bit about kind of how you would characterize how you hope the play will land differently now in this new version for people now in this moment, what the, kind of, you know, what's the broad uh, target there in terms of what you imagine and hope that people uh, walk away from the show with? What I want people to, it's so funny, what do I want the audience to take away from it? Uh, I want the audience to take away from it the same gift that I'm giving myself, which is an experience of Afrofuturist Black joy. And so it's like, if you can come and, and, and you know, there's a there's an old uh, song that we used to sing at church that corresponds to a um, a parable in the New Testament, and the, the chorus of the song is "Come and dine." You know what I mean? It's like if the master is creating a feast, it's like we are creating a feast. Interestingly, not like the picnic that Mister gives Ossifer and Kit. I mean, that Mister gives Moses and Kitch. Not not a false picnic, but we are creating a true feast for your emotions. We have all witnessed such vile pain. We've witnessed Trump, we've witnessed COVID, we've witnessed the complete desecration of the earth amidst all of these things. And no one is talking about the earth, right? For as much better as the Biden administration is because they are no longer psychopathically trying to kill us, the best they can offer us is a, is a strong economy. I'm sorry, but the earth is on fire. It is literally dying and I do not need to be comforted that I can buy and sell things anymore. So even the best that our government has to offer us is not good enough for this moment. People did not get to bury their dead. People who were literally alive and healthy died all around us. That is not natural. And we had four years of a psychopath literally taunting us with the dissolution of the American democracy. Which FYI, as a black woman, I'm telling you that fucking democracy wasn't even that great to begin with. Talk about a rewrite. Yeah, I'd like to rewrite the constitution next. Hello, Nicole Hannah, Hannah Nicole Jones told us 1619, we need a rewrite. 
right? So A, we have an American dream, which is huh, a nightmare for a lot of people. B, we have this fool telling us let's make the worst, let's be the worst version of Americans we can be. And then C, we have a once in a lifetime plague during which we also have the racial, you know, racial injustice. And then I'm telling people, oh, buy $100 tickets to come see my show. And then I'm gonna offer you the same old shit? Please, I'm sorry, no. My mother raised me better than that. I have to offer you something new. I have to offer you something that might save your fucking soul so that you can go out and save the world because the world is dying. And as I said, my, as I told my entire company on our first day, hello, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, every other fucking motherfucker, they are buying rockets to the moon. They don't give a fuck about you or me or the Amazon or the oceans. They're gonna buy, you know, they're gonna build a rocket to the moon and then they're gonna go fuck up the moon. And then they're gonna build a rocket to somewhere else and then they're gonna go fuck up somewhere else. And I, I think it's gonna be terrible. But if you don't have a billion, bajillion, gabillion dollars, we better, you know, we better, A, stop fucking around with all this whiteness bullshit and everybody needs to lean into their American citizenship. We need to be nice to our refugees and our immigrants. And we need to save the fucking world. Like I'm not fucking around. So, you know, come see my play. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're trying to do something real. We're trying to do something authentic. We're trying to do something that might stay with people in their hearts. Yes, it's entertainment. Of course it's entertainment, but it's not just entertainment. Please, who needs just entertainment at this moment in time? Really? You need more entertainment? My fucking God. No, we need to, we need to fix some shit. That's it. And, we ha- and it starts by treating people with dignity. So that's what we're trying to do behind the scenes. Yeah. And the show, the show is on Broadway right now for an announced run, limited run. Is there, what do you imagine as the future life for this production and <laughs> or the play? I'm going to tell we you the know. same thing I'm telling everybody. Danya mm-hmm. <laughs> says we don't know. Danya says we don't know, which is absolutely true. We don't know. Mm. But I can tell you what I envision and what I hope. Please. I hope for the play to go to Atlanta, Chicago, Houston, Los Angeles, and somewhere in the and the somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. So I want it to spread like wildfire across the United States. I want it to go back to Canada because it did go there. I want it to go back to South Africa because it did play there. I want it to go back to London, but this time the West End because if British people want to give me some money, I'll take that money too. And then I want it to just go everywhere. I want it to go everywhere. And I want anybody and everybody who needs to see this play to see this play. And as I told the fine people at Concord Theatrical slash Sam French, once this version is out there, I want to give acting editions of Passover 2017, Passover 2018, and Passover 2021. So that in your community, the version of the play that you need will be available to you. So if you're living in MAGA country, and you still need to produce Passover 2017, by all means, produce Passover 2017. Because these three plays mark a journey through a very specific time in American history when a man 
came and tried to tear apart the very best of who we are. But we have survived the many forms of plague. We have survived. We're still alive, barely. Some of us like me are a little crazy and we're just hanging on. But we have survived and now it is time to do the work of healing. It is time. It is time. I believe that very deeply. Um, well, we look forward to seeing this play on Broadway and everywhere else uh, it shows up uh, afterwards. Thank you both. Our <laughs> mouths to God's ears. Thank you. Everybody <laughs> better put yeah. this goddamn play. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both for joining me. It was great to talk to you. That was playwright Antoinette Nwandu and director Danya Tamor, whose production of Passover begins performances on Broadway August 4th ahead of a September 12th opening. If you like what you're hearing on this and other episodes of Stagecraft, I'd really appreciate it if you took the time to rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us grow our audience of folks who love theater as much as you and I do. Or tell a friend about Stagecraft. Find past episodes or subscribe on all the pod places, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on the Broadway Podcast Network, which is a great place to find more theater for your ears. I'll be back in two weeks with another new episode. Until then, find me on Twitter at GCoxVariety. Thanks for listening, and see you soon. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.